Hey everybody, this is Laura. And I'm Haley. And you're listening to The Body Pod. Welcome everyone. We are so excited. We have Lindsay, I'm going to butcher your last name, Wodakowski. No, <laughs> Wodakowski. Wodakowski. Correct. Well done. Oh my gosh, I did it. Yes. Um, she is a new friend that I have met and she is an expert in a space that I'm very passionate about. And so is Haley, but she is a family nurse practitioner and she specializes in women's hormones. Thank you so much for being here, Lindsay. I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me. So why don't you um, just tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got into what you are doing in your practice now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, my background, I'm a family nurse practitioner. I started out 20 plus years ago as an emergency department nurse and ended up going into conventional medicine where I practiced for about 10 years. And that was fun. It was great. I loved it um, until I started to realize that it wasn't working for myself. I got sick. I had cancer after my second son was born. And I suddenly realized that the conventional model that I was practicing in did not help support my health and wellness. Uh, My journey with our family, we went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I ended up starting my practice in integrative medicine and then followed a functional medicine training plan Um, and just really have followed my own personal needs and the needs of my kids, the needs of my family, the needs of people I love the most who I really feel like the conventional model has fallen short for Um, in many ways. It's got its place and I'm grateful we have it, but Um, My passion has really just led me, um, you know, with a deep passion to try to keep the people I love the most well. Over the last uh, five, six, seven years, it's really followed um, interest in hormones uh, for myself, but also friends and family who seemed uh, fascinated by it and curious by it and also um, kind of inspired to continue to dive deeper into it just because I think women have been really disserviced by um, the way women I think our conventional model has really fallen short for women, especially in their perimenopausal, menopausal years. So um, just hoping to make a difference and um, help meet women where they need. Oh, this is so needed. And I I just had a conversation with someone two hours ago on this exact subject. Uh, And so I, I feel like I'm talking to her. So fascinating and such a needed new niche that there's more options than just conventional. So I kind of like, that's where we want to dig in, right, Laura? Oh, absolutely. So I was looking at your website and you, you, I I literally, I was like, what do you not do? Or what, like, what do you not serve? Because literally everything's on there, but can we start with brain health and how can we tell if we're not healthy in this area? Because that was kind of new for me. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh, brain health can be impacted by so many things. Um, It's interesting at a clinic um, in Park City that I work at, Energy for Life Centers, um, we do a lot of TMS and EEG, like looking at how the frequency in someone's brain, this has been used in psychiatry for a long time, but 
Um, it's been really interesting to look at the brain health in particular of women who have come through. Now we do see a lot of patients who come through who have like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and we're trying to help support them in a different way. But over the last year, I've been seeing a lot of women who've been coming through and to see mostly the impact that stress seems to be having on women who are holding the whole entire world up, I feel like right now, um, <laughs> yeah. it seemed very profound. Um, and I just really want to make it kind of my mission over the next, you know, five, 10 years to really help support women because I think we're under a tremendous demand and it really does negatively affect, um, affects our brain, it affects our creativity, it affects our mood and our happiness level, our energy level, et cetera. So. Do you work with traumatic brain injury? We do have patients that come through um, that have traumatic, we have hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is like phenomenal, right? Post-concussion. I actually have a 16 year old who spent a good bit of time in this, in that this summer. Um, so yeah, we do. Wow. Yeah, I can't recommend that enough for acute traumas. Brain regeneration is certainly not my specialty, but it's something we incorporate in our clinic. And um, it's really exciting what's possible now. Can you talk about the hyperbaric chamber? Because I, that's going to be new for a lot of people. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think hyperbaric oxygen therapy is new. It's just new in like the longevity world and it's access to people on an outpatient basis is new. Um, it's been used in like hospital settings. It's FDA approved for all types of things like, um, you know, chronic infections, uh, traumatic brain injury, gangrene, you know, all sorts of things, scuba diving issues, um, but really helping to oxygenate, hyperoxygenate tissue. Because if you think of you know, when we're thinking of, um, you know, ways in which we heal, whether it's deep tissue massage or dry needling or all of the ways we try to manipulate and get, you know, blood flow and oxygenation to tissues, that's really where healing can help uh, or really where healing can happen. So, um, yeah, it's phenomenal. So traumatic brain injury, getting good oxygenation to the tissues. Um, yeah, it's exciting. And now there are clinics that are bringing them out into outpatient clinic settings. We use it for people who come to Park City who are dealing with altitude sickness, right? Um, helping to hyper-oxygenate the tissues. So you get in there, it's like a big pod. Um, my 16-year-old is a pretty big guy. He can sit up and do homework or stare at his phone. He claims he's doing homework, but he's not. Um, but, you know, there's it's spacious. You don't really feel anything. You're in there for 60 to 90 minutes. And um, you know, really it's time and tank that can be helpful for people. So, um, it's neat. You know, you can even rent them. So I know people who have them in their homes now, so they're so much more accessible than they used to be. I feel like it's like a Michael Jackson thing. Like totally. he have done that. I wouldn't recommend that. That's too much, <laughs> but he wasn't really about moderation. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, I want to, let's switch gears for a second and, talk about something that I feel like is going to be super helpful for our audience. And you were telling me you gave a talk a couple of days ago about hormones and was it hormone replacement therapy and pre perimenopause? Yep, really like, yeah. Q&A, all things hormones. There's so many myths out there. And I think women are confused. Women want to know, um, they want to be educated and want to have the tools to advocate for what feels right to them. And there's just been so much misinformation out there over the last 20 years. So it was an attempt to sort of dispel the myths. I, well, I think we should definitely, you should like 
debunk a couple, like the main myths that you think that people um, believe. So hopefully that kind of takes some fear out of it. Um, so I would love for you to talk about that. And the other thing that you said to me that I really, really loved that spoke to me too is I'm really nervous about entering and I, who knows when you enter it, right? It's different for all women, but premenopause, menopause, the whole situation. But one of the things that you said that I loved was that at this talk, a lot of the women were saying, all of a sudden I've noticed changes or different things happening, whether it's physically or with their periods, or maybe it's mood, whatever it, whatever it is. And just not knowing, not knowing how to navigate that and what does it mean and how do you even know if you are in like pre-menopause? So yeah, I know those were two big questions, but um, so you can talk about whichever one you want first, but I just thought those both really spoke to me. Yeah. I get that question so many times, like women always asking, like, how do I know if I'm perimenopause? I don't feel like myself. I don't quite have specifics. Just everything's vague, right? And I think most women think, okay, I'm going to go into menopause at like 50, 51, 52, but I'm only 46. I'm 44. Like, clearly this can't be perimenopausal. Well, the average age of menopause for women is 52, and most women deal with perimenopausal symptoms for like six to eight women or six to eight hours or goodness gracious, six to eight years prior to that. So women can be in perimenopause for a really long time. Um, and those symptoms can start like in your early forties. That's not unusual at all. Um, and one of the things that I think, by the way, I know, (laughs) but I think what those symptoms are, or are they all vague too? They're super, well, they can be vague, but not necessarily. You know, I think one of the things that happens is certainly as we get closer to our 50s, our estrogen levels kind of start to go all over the place as our ovaries are sort of sputtering out at the end of our ovulation ability. But, you know, in that 10 years prior to that, one of the hormones that's sort of starting to decrease gradually, estrogen's kind of going like this as we closer to 50s, but progesterone is slowly, slowly, slowly declining. It's a very gradual decline. Progesterone is our natural anxiolytic. So it's our natural anti-anxiety hormone. It's the hormone that makes us feel calm. It's the hormone that helps us sleep well. Um, It helps our muscles relax. We're flooded with progesterone when we have a baby so the baby can come out. And that hormone is slowly, slowly, slowly you know, declining as we get into our 40s. And what's problematic is not necessarily the decrease in both of them, but the now the balance between progesterone and estrogen. So estrogen kind of stays the same or sputters erratically. Progesterone is slowly declining and that balance, the mismatch of the balance between the two tends to make people feel PMSy. Um, their period can become irregular. And that low, that slowly declining progesterone can cause cycles to be irregular. People feel irritable. They don't sleep as well. Um, you know, they just, their mood is declined. And then again, that misbalance in the two hormones really can make people feel hot, flashy, weight can change. Um, and, um, you know, there are vague symptoms that women sometimes have a hard time attributing to hormones. Um, you know, I think that's really important to to mention. You know, I think most women, when I see them in clinic, I certainly don't want to stereotype, but within five, 10 minutes in clinic, a lot of women are grabbing tissues because my heart goes out to 
to women. And this is where I really want to put a lot of emphasis in my practice going forward for supporting women, because I think it's fair to say the, the same time that this is happening, women are probably maybe also raising teenagers. They might also be going through a divorce or struggling in their marriage. They may be caring for older parents. They may have lost a parent. They may have moved across country. And what's happening when we are in a state of like chronic stress, which all of those things are significant stressors, as is loneliness or lack of connection. Those are all things that are driving our cortisol constantly, constantly. And when our cortisol is going constantly, 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 it's it's called, it is what we call the cortisol steel, where we're making so much cortisol that it shunts the production of our progesterone, that same beautiful hormone that helps us feel calm and rested and sleep well. So the stress that we're under, even though we have to give ourselves a lot of compassion because we're navigating so much in this world right now, it really does have an impact on exacerbating the process that's already happening naturally. I so appreciate you making that point and like touching on that because it is interesting whenever I get together with friends, those are all the topics that people are, are struggling with. Teenage teenage kids, caring for their parents, marriage um, difficulties, whatever it is, divorce or whatever. And I think, yeah, we're just trying to navigate life as it is, but then on top of it, to be struggling with our hormones and body changes and not feeling in control, I think is really scary and heavy, like you said, and the stress and the anxiety and the no sleep. And ugh. it's a lot all at once, you know? So I think it's so important for us to know A, our options. Yes, we can always replace hormones. Those are those are the easier measures to take and they're available to us and we should feel empowered to ask for that when we need. But there are also things we can do to support our body so that we're supporting our own production of progesterone, right? Because again, for women in their for like mid to late 40s, it's really that progesterone decline that's making women feel so symptomatic. Um, and mm -hmm. anything that we can do to help support our stress response, you know, there's diet, there's supplements, we can get into all of them. Um, lifestyle that can help take some of the load off of our adrenal glands that are cranking out cortisol all the time um, so that we can restore that balance a little bit more and support what our body's naturally making. Um, you know, so when I think about what are those things, well, you know, the most simple, simple, I put that in quotes because not really is stress reduction, right? People usually give me two middle fingers when I say that. Yes. <laughs> it's like one more thing we have to do. But one thing that I would really tell women, I tell this is, I tell it to myself, right? This is the time in my life. I'm 47 for me to say no to things that are draining my tank. This is yeah. also the time for me to advocate for the things that fill my tank. There are things I can't get out of that stress me out. And there are lifestyle issues that I'm going through right now that I know are challenging, but being purposeful about what I can say yes to and what I can say no to and finding ways that fill my tank. And I don't know that we all know that, right? Like, there's a few friends, every time I call them, I get off the phone and I feel better. So I am, you know, I'm thoughtful about that, whether it's a walk in nature, or yoga, or whatever that means to us, this is the time we have to advocate for those things more than ever. Yes. Um, you know, the other thing that I would say too is, um, you know, I know 
you know, probably most of your listeners are thoughtful about what they're eating, nutrition, et cetera. Um, but there are some things, you know, we can all do to sort of advocate for, um, you know, nutrition, nutrition impacts our, our cortisol, which impacts our progesterone, right? So, mm-hmm. um, things like wearing a controlled glucose monitor, it's like all the rave now, they're so easy to get. You can get them online. You can get them from your primary care provider, watching blood sugar, because when your blood sugar is going up and down and up and down, it stresses your adrenal glands, which then stress out our progesterone production. So, you know, there's things we can do lifestyle wise, diet wise, focusing on nutrient dense foods that help support hormone production as well. Um, this is like the time to do it. Um, so supplements always feel a little bit overwhelming to me. Is there one or two that you feel like really help women that are in their forties? What, you know, that are experiencing perimenopause or that are in menopause? Yeah. You know, I think the first one that you can't ever ignore is vitamin D because almost everybody's low and vitamin D is, it's not a vitamin, it's a hormone precursor. So vitamin D has to be sufficient for us to make our hormones. It's also responsible for a lot of our immune system function and low vitamin D can mimic fibromyalgia. So people can feel crappy if their vitamin D is low. Um, that's when I really do advocate for getting checked by blood work. The conventional model is total BS. It says you should be anything above 30 is okay. No, that is not okay. If your primary care provider tells you your vitamin D is okay, ask for the number. We want that closer to 80. We're looking to not be like an average American, right? We're looking to have optimal health and wellness. So you really want your vitamin D level to be like 70 to 90. I advocate for taking vitamin D3 over the counter and um, your clinician should be able to sort of guide your dose um, based on your levels. Um, other ones that I think are really important, um, you know, things that can, let's talk about things that can help support your hormone production. Um, Chasteberry is also called Vitex. A lot of women will do that to help support their progesterone levels. Um, when women are under a tremendous amount of stress and our adrenals are going, like I've referenced, um, there are adaptogen combos. You guys have probably talked about these on your podcast, but things like ashwagandha, rhodiola, they tend to come in combos. Um, those can help support the adrenal gland so that they are doing less work to crank out that cortisol. And that can be helpful as well. <clears throat> magnesium can be helpful to help us calm. We're usually low in magnesium. And then again, just eating a nutrient rich diet. This is not the time in our life to to um, go fat free. We don't want the trend of the '80s where we all went fat free and nobody ate fat grams. This is the time. So our hormones are made from our cholesterol. So this is the time to be eating healthy fats, nuts, seeds, fruits, veggies in abundance. Uh, keeping our blood sugar low, proteins. These are all our friends. I have a question. I want to know your thoughts on um, hormone therapy. As so, I had an OBGYN on a few months ago that talked about starting hormone therapy before you are officially in like postmenopause after that year of, of cessation of a menstrual cycle. What are your thoughts on that? I think it is very person dependent and I think it should be based on symptoms, not labs. So if you have somebody who has had absolutely no symptoms through perimenopause and they're feeling great 
and they've realized they're getting nine to 12 months out of their last menstrual cycle, which you don't even really have to wait till the 12 month after a menstrual cycle guidelines. Those are kind of outdated, but um, yes, then you could start hormone replacement therapy. If you're looking for just longevity and bone health and all of the things that it's so beneficial for. Um, if somebody is really struggling, which some women do, and they're very symptomatic in those perimenopausal years, they're having a tremendous amount of hot flashes, mood is low. Like you need estrogen for ser serotonin and estrogen go hand in hand, right? So if someone's really symptomatic, I would advocate for not only supporting longevity and all the long-term benefits, but also helping manage somebody through those more challenging perimenopausal years. And I would advocate for starting something earlier. So what would you say, what would be your guess on how many women take hormone therapy? And I know there's different forms versus just kind of not take anything at all. That's a good question. I'm not sure I know the answer to it. You know, I think hormone replacement therapy was used it, everywhere. It was very, very, very commonly used like in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And then that dang World Health Initiative came out. Ruined everything. Ruined everything. Um, and and the, um, the frequency of hormone replacement therapy use has just declined drastically. I think we're starting to come back out of that. We're starting to look back at that study and understand the massive faults that were made. Yes. Um, but I, it takes a long time to pull back headlines like that. Yep. You know, once, once headlines like that run, as we all know with um, our media, it's hard to pull them back. It takes a long time. So yeah. Is so hormone therapy and bioidentical, is that different? Or is bioidentical bio what we're talking about? There's a lot of ways to do hormone replacement therapy. I think the most responsible way is with bioidentical hormones, right? Mm -hmm. There are plenty of providers who will still use synthetic hormones. Um, there are still providers who will prescribe birth control pills, which I certainly do not recommend to women going through perimenopause uh, yeah. for a lot of reasons. Um those are synthetic hormones. So those are um, usually that's um, uh, instead of progesterone, it's usually progestin. It is not a progesterone. It never turns into progesterone. It just binds to the receptor. Some things that progesterone does, it prevents and some things progesterone does, it helps with. So they don't do the same types of things. Um, so birth control pills are more like synthetics. Bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is using hormones that uh, mimic our own hormones. So I'm so glad you clarified that, by the way. <laughs> did I? I'm not sure I answered the question very no, well. No, you did. And I no, that was a really good clarification, I feel like. Yeah. And I and for sure, the perimenopause still kind of gets lost. I feel like there's been a lot. I mean, menopause is having a moment and there's lots of authors and I know like two or three women that are releasing books next, well, this year towards the end of the year on menopause that are specialists and physicians. But it's really interesting because I feel like the like most of us don't know if you're if you're not kind of talking about it or if it's it, the perimenopause kind of gets lost because women in their 40s are like, oh, I don't need to think about menopause. Like, that's way down the line. And right. so the perimenopause you know, a lot of women still are like, well, what, what is that? What is that? And what age? And obviously there's an age range that it's not a specific age. It's more symptoms, but that needs to still get a lot of love out there because we all know since we were, you know, 
20, what menopause was, but it's that period before that all of these changes start and nobody, it's not really, we don't know what to do with it. Right. Well, and some people are informed even, so when is it that you go over the line of perimenopause to menopause? I feel like everyone's so ill-informed. Yeah. You know, and that's, by the conventional model, it's 12 months after your last cycle, right? So if you've gone 12 months without your cycle, you're by definition in menopause. I struggle with those hard line deadlines. It doesn't really matter. It's just a me- like things are pooping out and the, yeah. the numbers are, the, the hormones are slowly declining, right? And, you know, it's, I compared to like, you know, the diabetic guidelines, like you're a diabetic if you're this number, but not if you're at this number, like that's still the whole disease process, the pre-diabetes, right? There's so much we can do instead of just waiting until you're a diabetic. It's such a beef I have with the conventional model. Like that in itself is a really big disease process that's negatively impacting us, right? So I'm not saying that perimenopause is a disease. This is a natural state that we're you know, by evolution, we go through. So this Mm -hmm. is nothing we have to fix. And a lot of women feel perfectly fine. And I'm great. I'm happy that women, you know, some women go through it that way, but some people, some women really struggle. Another one that, you know, the, another few symptoms that seem to just really be a big one. Um, I feel like I've been even personally dealing with it the last few years, um, is brain fog, um, poor mood, you know, serotonin and estrogen are really, really linked poor word recall, feeling they're just not as sharp as you used to. You know, I get a lot of women who've been under a tremendous amount of stress and they come into clinic thinking they're looking for like a brain regeneration program, right? At our clinic in Park City. Oftentimes that's not what they need at all. They need community. They need support. (laughs) They Uh need some self-compassion, some self-care. And we need to optimize their hormones because when estrogen starts to decline for a lot of women, that can really affect them cognitively. It's that is so the brain fog I have been dealing with for sure. So I'm 46 and a half. (laughs) I'm still saying I'm, you know, early 40s. But the brain fog is I mean, I will have a conversation and I'll be like, what is the word? I, I literally just had this word five minutes ago or I know this word all the time. Why can't I remember what it's called? And it's so frustrating because you just feel dumb. Like what what happened to me? I mean, it's really frustrating. And I keep just making errors on, you know, booking flights and for the wrong times and days and places. And, and I'm blaming it on the perimenopause a hundred percent. Anything I do that's off, it's the perimenopause. That's what I'm just saying. Until. I, again, and I'll go back to the stress piece too. I just think it's the perfect storm for women. And I just, I, yeah. again, I look at women in their forties. I've alluded to a lot of the things women are going to that you all know just as well as I do. You've got that declining progesterone, which increases stress and insomnia. You've got the decreasing estrogen that's sort of sporadically de- decreasing, which helps mood and serotonin and memory and cognition. Um, and women are also dealing with all of these other components in their life as well. And cortisol, it affects brain function, right, too. So it's just truly a perfect storm. And um, again, I put my hand on my heart every time I think about this for women, cause I just think we are, we're managing a lot and, um, you know, anything we can do for self-care. Absolutely. And then again, being caught in a medical system that's, you know, not given us the information that we probably need that it as well. So when somebody comes into you and they have like, 
in the in the normal conventional medicine, they would go in and ask for a blood test. They would do a blood test. Where do you fall with like thyroid issues along with everything else that's happening? Do you do blood tests or what else do you do to kind of figure out what's happening with them? For somebody in, who's like in those perimenopausal years? Yes. Yeah. So I think labs are always essential. I would advocate for a lot more than what our conventional model is doing. So in conventional medicine, I was one of these providers for a long time. I'd draw four labs. I'd check your blood count, your liver, kidney function, your TSH, which is one tiny little marker of your thyroid and your cholesterol. And if they were all good, I'd tell you everything was fine. And um, that's definitely not the case. I would advocate, well, for people who are not feeling well and not feeling like themselves, I would advocate for more, right? So mm-hmm. thyroid is a precursor to the whole hormone production. So thyroid has to be optimized. That's like looking upstream hormone-wise. That's essential. I do not advocate for just getting a TSH. That's like the signal from our brain telling our thyroid to make more hormones. And that's usually all that's checked. So for me, I'll usually check a TSH and then I'll look at free T3 and free T4, which are actually the hormones that are being made by your hormones or by your thyroid. And then I will also look for antibodies against your thyroid. It's kind of like checking for prediabetes before diabetes starts, right? If somebody's going to have a thyroid issue, oftentimes for five to 10 years before that TSH becomes elevated, um, somebody has been dealing with vague symptoms as well. And oftentimes it's antibodies against the thyroid that are kind of causing an assault. And then finally, after years of assault, the thyroid is compromised, the TSH goes up and the production of thyroid hormone goes down. So I look for all of those for women who are feeling badly. So, um, you know, I think labs are important. I think labs for hormones can be a piece of the puzzle, but there's no perfect test for hormones. So I do think checking blood work wise is helpful, especially estradiol, progesterone, and free and total testosterone. Checking vitamin D, again, we got to throw that one in there as well. Um, But knowing that if all of those numbers come back normal and somebody doesn't feel well, there are a lot of ways to dig deeper. And I would advocate for that. You know, there's definitely different testing you can do. You've probably gotten into this on your podcast in the past. There's urine tests to look at more comprehensive hormone levels. Um, You can do salivary tests. And also you can treat somebody based on how they feel hormone wise too. If somebody's really dialed into the way they feel, that is a Um, that's a lot of information to me. Oftentimes that'll give me even more information than I can get from labs, but labs are helpful. And for things like thyroid, vitamin D, blood count levels, um, et cetera, that's the only way to get that information. That's so helpful. And that's one of the things I have to say, when I met you, I have been thinking, okay, I just wish I knew someone that specialized in women, specialized in hormone health and that was also passionate and really wants to help someone feel their best self. And that was one of my very first questions that I wanted to ask you is, okay, so even if I'm feeling like I feel good, I feel like myself, hypothetically, you know, I think being a woman in their forties, you know, what blood work, what, should I get done just to even have a baseline? I I would say I'm sure nine times out of 10, it would, most of us would be coming in there going, oh, I felt better, whatever, let's do, you know, I would do whatever you would recommend. But that's the beauty of finding someone like you is I don't have to 
worry about it. You are going to do whatever you can do for me to help me feel my best. But even for someone like me, I feel like I am so off because I have been on this few year journey of IVF and I have been pumped full of hormones for the last four years. And it's totally changed me in lots of different ways. And so when I met you, it had been, I think, 10 months or maybe a year that I had not done anything, taken any hormones from IVF, taken anything. And I thought, you know, this is probably so important given my age and me wanting to get information so that when I am navigating all these changes that are scary, I at least have some sort of baseline, if that's what you want to call it, right? So do you recommend getting, let's say I come into you tomorrow, we do everything and it's normal. We kind of have my information or you kind of correct some things. When do you recommend, do we keep track of that every six months as a woman in their forties? What do you I think it entirely depends on your comorbidities and how you feel, right? If you've got other issues, if you have autoimmune disease, if you have thyroid issues, um, if you have chronic pain, if you have joint issues, if you are symptomatic, I would advocate for checking more regularly. And like every 30 days, just so you can get on the right. No, you know, I would probably, it's hard to generalize. You know, I certainly pride myself in trying to do the right testing for each specific person based on their background. Um, But I think if someone's unwell, you know, three to six months, um, and if you see a provider who tells you everything is fine, come back in a year and that doesn't feel right to you, find another provider, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we as women just have to continue to advocate for what doesn't feel right. You have talked to so many women over the years who continued to advocate and advocate and advocate until something was found that needed that needed fixing. Um, and, and not everything that we're looking for is, is something that can't be fixed. I mean, most of the things that we're trying to test for are things that we can you know, support with diet, lifestyle, supplements, sometimes prescription medications or whatever, whatever the right um, recipe is for each person. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, extensive labs, I know not all. I love getting labs. I think it's informative. I think it's a nice way to compare from year to year. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think information is great. You know, again, I said I've got a continuous glucose monitor. That's another way to just get information about yourself that you can collect. How does my body respond to things? Totally different than how Lindsay's body responds to something. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for women in their perimenopausal years, I do like checking hormones. Um, There's a Dutch test that I like. It's like... um, you pee on these little sticks four times in one day and it tells me your hormone levels. And what I love about it is it also tells me your metabolites of how you are breaking your estrogens down. So I might break mine down totally different than you break yours down. And that's based on my diet, my environment, my gut microbiome, like the bacteria in my gut, how I'm detoxifying it, my cancer risk, et cetera. So it's not an inexpensive test. It's like a $400 test. So, you know, there's, 
it, it's it's a matter of matching what fits best for each person. Sometimes labs is sufficient if that's what works best for somebody and it's more convenient and insurance will cover it. Great. If somebody wants to dive deeper, there's certainly ways to dive deeper. There's more extensive stool tests now where you can look at your gut microbiome and uh, look at the bacteria and see what the balance of your bacteria is, which a lot of people overlook. I can't emphasize the importance of that enough. This is how we detoxify our hormones. And for a lot of women who are having PMS or perimenopausal symptoms, if we have the wrong balance of the bacteria in our gut, we often recirculate estrogens and our estrogen level compared to our progesterone level becomes disrupted. Our cancer risk goes up, not because of the estrogen, but because of the metabolites are being recirculated. Um, and that can you know, make us feel more poorly. And I, that would be an amazing test to do annually, especially if something shows up and we're trying to fix things. So, you know, there's, there's so much that we can do now. Um, not everybody needs all of it, but there's a lot available to those who are interested. So, um, it's just a matter of meeting you where you are. Okay. I'm so fascinated with the gut microbiome. This is what I was just talking to, Dr. Sims about on our Instagram live a few days ago. It, it's fascinating. And I feel like it's such in its infancy compared to a lot of other things that we've studied. And all of this information is coming out. Do you, what are you, I'm curious on your take on PCOS and what that, how you treat someone with PCOS. Oh, PCOS. Um, yeah. So I, um, you know, PCOS can be my theory is that there's a few different ways people can find themselves in a PCOS situation. You know, certainly there are people, I see so many people who are like the epitome of health, right? And they've got PCOS and it just doesn't fit. A lot of times those people have like a genetic predisposition where your testosterone is actually converted into estrogen. That's where it comes from. And some people just don't do that conversion well. It's called aromatizing. Um, men who are overweight, who get man boobs, they're over aromatizing, right? Testosterone to estrogen. But some women who have PCOS just don't convert that well. And as a rule, they've got these high testosterone, low estrogen levels combined with insulin. Um, other people, it can be related to diet and lifestyle, like that kind of pre-diabetic setup, right? Where you've got high levels of insulin in your blood. So when we eat food, it goes into our stomach, it gets absorbed as blood sugar and insulin has to get released to get that sugar down. When there's a state of a lot of insulin, so sugar goes up, insulin goes up, has to get that sugar down. If that's happening regularly and regularly and regularly, that elevated insulin makes it hard for people to ovulate. Um, it increases our androgens, we get acne, weight changes, et cetera. Um, and it makes it hard to ovulate. So it really goes back to those root issues of like, again, this would be a great person for continuous glucose monitor, making sure the blood sugar stays stable. This is not about not eating a lot. It's about eating the right types of foods. So fibers, yes. proteins, fats, et cetera. Um, it goes back to that stress reduction, a lot of that. And some women with PCOS need progesterone support, right? Because if you're not ovulating regularly, you're not getting that progesterone level up. So that is where some women benefit a lot from, you know, doing some progesterone for a few weeks during your cycle. Do you see this at a specific age or is it all over the board? 
PCOS. Um, I see this, gosh, you know, I think maybe just more because of my age, I see more women in their 40s and 50s right now. But in primary care, I've seen so many young girls with PCOS. Um, Again, some is probably genetic, some is probably lifestyle. The other thing too is, you know, we have so many environmental exposures and plastics and all of the things that bind to our hormone receptors. I think that complicates the picture. And we're seeing women with that younger and younger and younger. Yeah. Yeah. In the IVF world, I felt like I knew so many people suffering from that in their Mm thirties, early thirties, even. Yeah. Yep. This is amazing. Well, okay. Lindsay, for people that live in Utah, where can they find you? You're in Salt Lake, right? A couple of days a week and Yep. So a few days a week, I'm up at Energy for Life Center in Park City. Um, It's an amazing clinic. Again, we've got things like the hyperbaric. We do ketamine group sessions. We do sound baths. Um, We do V-cell stem cell procedures. It's really a a neat um, mix of longevity, naturopathic, mental health, functional medicine. Uh, that's up in Park City, Utah. And then a few days a week, I'm down in Salt Lake, uh, closer to my kids' school for convenience, um, at a place called Pinnacle Performance. And I do individual consults there. Um, and we'll actually be doing a hormone lecture on Friday, February 9th, I believe, uh, from 5.15 to 6.45. So if anybody has further hormone questions and they want to take it deeper, we can take it deeper. It'll be another informal Q&A. There's just... Um, Again, my attempt is just to get the right information out there so women feel um, empowered to make the right decision for them, whatever that is. But, you know, we just need the right information. And I love what you said, too, and support it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, um, I'm just fascinated with the with the ketamine. I mean, because I was just introduced to this a few a few months ago. I, had no idea what it was, but then had a friend who was being treated with it. And it's fascinating. So can you talk about that really quick before we wrap up? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the whole world of like psychedelic medicine is so fascinating. We could talk about that forever. Um, But I, um, yeah, so ketamine um, has, is legal now for clinics to use. Um, the benefit of ketamine is it's super short acting. So if you do it in a clinic setting, you can be in and out in like two and a half hours, which is obviously for those who have experience with other plant medicine, very different. Yeah. Um, but it can be administered. There's a lot of places that do it orally, sublingually. We do it injectable. We just do an injection. So um, we have patients come in for an initial consult. They meet with myself and one of our life coaches, and then they come in for the experience. We have this like, absolutely beautiful room set up. We can do individual or group setting. Um, and then people come in a couple, like a couple days later for an integrative session and just to talk about it and kind of make sense of the experience. Um, but it's a dissociative. So it really separates um, you from yourself and, you know, one interesting thing that I find about all of these types of medications is their ability to like calm our default mode network. So I don't know about you, but my default mode network drives me nuts. This is the highway in my head, the thoughts that I think all day long yeah. that probably benefit me. Like I can mother or I can multitask like nobody's business, but I also have thoughts in my head that may or may not benefit me. We all have them. And the more we think them, the more they become like highways in our brain. We can't stop thinking them. So 
we all have like our patterning, like I'm not enough. It never works out for me or it always works out for whatever we all, we all have our own thoughts, but these types of um, medicines have the ability to kind of calm the default mode network and open up other parts of our brain during the experience so that those little pathways in our brain we don't typically take that may be equally as beneficial, if not more so, um, mm-hmm. are allowed to open up, explore new ways of thinking, new ideas, um, and those stay open after the experience is over. So um, I think I think they, the future is really exciting for these types of therapies. And I think we're all looking for a way to have a deeper connection to ourself. Um, and I think it's an interesting tool that um, will be more and more used in the years to come. So anyone can be a candidate for this. I would assume that you would do a lot of PTSD. Yeah, we certainly do an intake. So I wouldn't say it's perfect for everybody, but um, you know, it's FDA indicated for suicidal ideation, severe depression. Um, and yeah, for people who have PTSD, et cetera, of course. And you don't need to have all of those to come in and have a very um, incredible ketamine experience. Do some people just want to come and experience it and just reach a higher level of themselves? Yeah. Absolutely. Like Laura and I could come in and just have the experience podcast we've about it. Few, after. We've actually had a few women's groups who've come in. We had a really neat group of women a month or two ago and there are eight of them. And every year they do a new experience. And one of the women wow. decided that this was going to be the experience. And they did two sessions, I think back to back one day and then the next day. Um, and it was really neat to, I was helped facilitate it and it was really neat to watch them all kind of go through it individually, but also collectively. That is powerful. I love that. And I love their, like, let's do a new experience once a year. Yeah. I love that. I am so grateful that they're or things like this out there and that they're becoming way more accessible and accepted because I do think I have a friend who did something similar to that. And she said, I feel like I saved myself two or three years of therapy. And one of the reasons why she didn't want to go to therapy is she didn't want to keep having the conversation of the trauma that she had. And to go to therapy, you have to talk about, all of the things again and again. And it was really powerful and interesting to hear about her experience and not to discount. I mean, I've had great experiences in therapy over the years, but um, I do think that there is a place for that that's really special for people that, you know, don't want to talk through that trauma So I bet you see magical things happen at your day of work. We do. And what I love about where we are in medicine um, is that I I think, and maybe this is a lot of women as well, but people seem to be seeking out like a a whole way of healing physically, mentally, spiritually, not just getting like your A1C and your high blood pressure, like your blood pressure values to goal, really trying to, heal inside and out. And um, I, I think it's a really exciting time in medicine. So yeah, it's fun to be a part of. How does it differ from mushrooms? I mean, it's a different psychedelic, but in the same family, right? Not in the same family. Um, no, mushrooms, I, 
I, I actually would need to reference that. I don't exactly know how they would compare molecularly. Okay. Um, but mushrooms is a, from my understanding, a much longer experience. Yeah. And a little bit harder to wrangle in a clinic setting, right? So, um, you know, I know there are a lot of places, underground groups that are doing that. Um, and I, I actually know that there's like a church in Salt Lake City, the Church of Psilocybin. So it's a big thing, but it's definitely wow. a different type of experience and um, works a little bit differently in the brain. And um yeah, much longer experience. So definitely harder yeah. to kind of wrap into a clinical visit. Well, and ketamine seems like it's not as overwhelming or stressful. You know that it's like a two, two and a half hour experience. And so someone who's nervous about going through something like that, that doesn't feel as overwhelming, I feel like. Yeah, I think it's probably person specific, you know, and I think a lot of the work um, some of our clinicians in clinic do more so than myself is really helping people prepare for whatever comes up. Because the thing I think that's fascinating about these types of therapies is that you can't use the therapy to tell your brain where to take it or where to take you. Like your body naturally seems to know where it needs to go. Um, and so a lot of the work that we try to do is to help patients be ready to navigate through whatever comes up because if something comes up it's probably what needs to be addressed the body knows the body has yeah, the final say it sure does it the sure does knows. we gotta do it Haley. we should do it. <laughs> oh. yeah that was my next question i'm assuming is that covered by insurance number one and if not what is the price for just somebody coming in that wants to have an experience like this I believe it's eight. This may be changing. So that one might may need to reference. Um, but an individual session, I think, is like 800. But we can package that for group settings. We could take this podcast live to the ketamine group session <laughs> next month. I love that. <laughs> that would be session. the best seller. I'm dead serious. I think I it's do. so interesting. I'm in. <laughs> you can put me in charge of the camera and we can just do a live kind of see where it goes so i think that's yeah then you're like oh edit this part haley's yeah. going to <laughs> body pod goes on the road and yeah. you know, like, join us certainly. for a ketamine journey <laughs> certainly pricing can be adjusted depending on the number of people in the group and all of yeah. that so okay so do you take any online clients like um telehealth kind of absolutely we do it all the time Okay. You guys, this is such good news. Yeah. Now you guys can meet with Lindsay if you don't live in Utah, which most of our, well, a lot of our listeners don't. So are not. I'd be happy yeah. to see anybody. So that is so great. Wow. Do you have any other questions, Laura? I just think we're going to need to have her on again at some uh -huh. point down the road. Thank yes. you. Yes. <laughs> This has been so informative. So thank you so much for your time. I am always so fasc fascinated by this functional, n I would say non-traditional form of medicine that I think is getting more traction and more people are kind of going towards because the system is failing a lot of people, a lot of women, especially. So it's great to know that there's other avenues out there that people can go and try and see if that works for them. So thank you for sharing your expertise with us. I have loved having you on and getting to know you with this topic. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Thanks, Lindsay. <laughs> Take care, Lindsay. Thanks, we'll guys. talk to you soon. All right. Sounds great. Have a good day. Bye.
Thanks for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and sharing the body pod with your friends. Until next time. Oh, 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 o